0: Welcome to another episode of the Evolution of Business show. I'm your host, Dave Clare, and today we have a very, very special guest, a West Australian living legend, none other than Nick Marvin. Now, he's well known here in West Australia, if not across all of Australia, for the time he spent with the Perth Wildcats and helping turn that organization around in the 2000s, not only on the court, but off the court. They ended up winning four championships in eight years under Nick's leadership as general manager. Now, Nick has worked with some of Australia's other living legends in terms of Jack Bendat and Andrew Forrest. But Nick's story that he's going to share with us on this podcast is a journey from being born prematurely into this world, but a very humble journey about what happens when you back yourself and you have a compelling pursuit of excellence. So without further ado, let's get into our podcast today with Nick Marvin. Welcome to the Evolution of Business
1: podcast. Business is a series of evolutions. This podcast explores how to stay relevant in the hearts and minds of the people you choose to serve. It will look for the lessons and the failures of the past and share the success of those getting it right today. What is the next evolution of your business? Now,
0: here's your host, Dave Clare. Welcome back to the Evolution of Business Show. I'm your host, Dave Clare, and today I have a very special local guest here from Perth, West Australia, none other than Nick Marvin. Now, Nick is a management consultant and non-executive director with over 20 years of experience across public, private and not-for-profit organizations. Now, over the last 12 years, he's worked closely with two of Western Australia's most successful entrepreneurs none other than Jack Bendat and Andrew Forrest. And he's been helping in establishing a proven track record of performance with those organizations and working with those entrepreneurs. He specializes in organizational transformation through performing teams. Previous roles include chairman of the national basketball league, managing director of the Perth wildcats and the Perth Lynx, and CEO of the world series of rugby and uh, Western force. Now, uh, in his time with Perth Wildcats, uh, he turned the Wildcats around from sustained losses and almost a decade without a championship to its most successful era, winning four national championships in eight years while posting consecutive profits for the organization. In 2011, the Wildcats moved from a 4,200 seat stadium to a 13,500 seat arena, which it regularly fills to capacity. And it also boasts the best attendances and television viewing in the country. Uh, Nick's also a fellow of the Australian Institute of Management, a certified management consultant, and has an MBA from RMIT University. He's an author, journalist, uh, Rolling Stone Magazine National Award recipient. And I'm sure he'll tell us a bit about that story later. So uh, without further ado, I would love to welcome the infamous Nick Martin to the Evolution of Business show. Nick, welcome.
1: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, Dave
0: uh mate, we it's it's been a privilege to know you. i've only we've only really met i think uh this year actually it was just pre pandemic mm-hmm. um but was really fascinated with your story uh and and the work that you're doing so it was a uh, it was a privilege to have you come and join me on the show here and uh, and i know uh, we'll be looking forward to doing some more work together in the future but but for everyone listening right now, uh, i guess i want to get started and and you know tell us the Nick Marvin story in like ten minutes or so as best you can if you can take that whole adventure that you've had to where you are today and jam it into 10 minutes with some highlights, Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, thank you very much, Dave, for having me on the show. And look, it's been a remarkable life, uh, Hmm. a very unremarkable beginning, really. I was born in in India. I was um, born almost, uh, well, more than two months premature um, back Fifty years ago, which you uh, know, in a country that was uh, struggled with health and high rates mm. of infant mortality, I was lucky to be alive. I suppose is what I often say. And I was a sick child. I uh, we went we went poor, but we we definitely were not rich. Mm. And uh, very simple life. Uh, I was quite ill uh, when I was in my teenage years. I contracted. Typhoid, which for those of you who know about it is not a very good it's not an enjoyable disease it's a home no. disease and and I contracted it twice, which made my life that little bit more interesting and wow um, the, the the important point uh almost an inflection point really in my life was was at that the second phase of of being ill with typhoid and when you're a teenager you're invincible and even in India, you're invincible because you have the world you have the world in front of you and your life ahead of you and to be lying in bed and and you know facing the reality that you might not make it um, had a big impact on my life. I certainly came out of that experience a lucky to be alive, but b with two two key learnings that have stuck with me forever, and that is that. There is something unique about life and I call it the sanctity of life where each one of us uh, have a an inbuilt purpose, a very unique set of skills, um, God-given talents that we have a real desire to share and to, to self-fulfill, I suppose. Um, and that's important. And mm. the other one is that, you know, it is healthy to have a pursuit of goodness. And I'm happy to talk a bit bit about that more in detail. But but those two concepts, the sanctity of life and this pursuit of goodness, really, were the two learnings from my young years, uh, being quite ill, and, and really defined my life. When I was 18, we were lucky to to move to Australia and was mm. in Melbourne for about 17 years and then I moved to Perth at the age of 35 and have been here for 15 years and, and loved it.
0: Yeah, and so uh, what What was the move from India to say to Melbourne, Australia, the, the, family, that it the family was that was you yourself or?
1: It was difficult, it was defining. Yeah. Um, my wonderful aunt um, who oh, I'm forever indebted to. um she lived in this two bedroom unit with her husband. She had a young son, uh, maybe a year or so old, and she was pregnant with her second child and she welcomed us into the other bedroom in this two bedroom uh, apartment uh, where my mum, uh, my dad, my brother, and I stayed for months while um, we we went we went to work really, when we arrived yeah. in Australia and Um, Australia didn't recognise my educational qualifications and so we made a decision that we would all go to work. Uh, I worked in a supermarket full-time and then six months later we'd uh, bought a house as a family and then I went back to school and finished, uh, went back to uh, year 12 and did that again at the age of 18 or 19, which was a bit unusual. Then went to university and I found those years very difficult. Uh, As an adult, it's hard to move perhaps a lot harder for my parents, but it was defining in that it, uh, it gave you a certain maturity, which has also been very helpful.
0: Yeah, and, and so then the move from Melbourne to Perth, was that, what, what, what was the Oh, it's, it was one of those that.
1: things that uh, you, well, I was consulting as a management consultant and for a public company, and they said, look, um, we've got this project in Perth, why don't you go check it out? I came here and then within two or three weeks they said you're moving to Perth. Oh. And so we, we put the house on the market and we sold it within three or four weeks and we moved here with my parent my wife and children had never been here. Right. And we got a one way ticket and they just trusted in my decision making and we arrived here in I think two
0: thousand and four or two thousand and five and have loved it ever since. Yeah, and is that when you started doing some work with uh, Jack and with Andrew, or was that
1: not long after? i would i heard of them. I'd never played basketball in my life, and so I, I met Andrew, who was managing the company at the time, and and um, got to know him quite well. And and then soon after, Jack purchased the club, yeah. and I just finished my last project, and so they said, "Why don't you come on board?" and and the rest of course is history
0: mm. yeah but it's a it's a fascinating history because uh um, like I, having lived in australia before myself i lived here in perth from 81 to 98 um and so when the wildcats were born uh speaking of basketball so back in those days um and you know going to watch the games there but you know it was it was, it was great basketball but they weren't anywhere i guess in that stage at the the form that they are today nor was the sport at the level it is today, um, and, and so obviously it's it's quite interesting to see uh, the work that you did there. Um, you know, and this is the evolution of business shows. So, you know, uh, when you're thinking about your time, let's just say with the, with the Wildcats, and you've done so many other amazing things too. How did you how did you help them evolve out of being where they were in terms of their performance, not only as a team on the court, but as an organization? Because the organization really wasn't performing well as a business. Um, And then all of a sudden, so we turn the business around, we also turn the team around. Was there a correlation between turning the team around and turning the business around? Did one drive the other or did? Yeah, I think it does.
1: Uh, It was an unusually difficult time, but a a great opportunity for me. Uh, Mm. So the learnings I've had are that uh, in management, especially as a consultant, you have an objective External perspective that sometimes when you're inside the business, you don't have. Yeah, and I'm a big believer in that now. I never used to be, but um, and I'm not trying to sell the management consultant story, but yep. as a management consultant, you do get a, a very independent, objective opinion of the world. Um, and and you know, even in our own business, uh, advice from external consultants helped me. Mm. So that was a really powerful factor in our success. And the other part of it was that uh, we had hit a crisis and so Jack had purchased the club. It had been three years of losses uh, over that time. Significant On the court and off the court? Uh, uh, yeah, certainly significant financial costs yeah. and... The club had now been almost a decade without a championship and it was 2009. We, we had the, the fallout at the GFC and the defining moment was that Jack was on a boat in Europe and having spoken to a few other owners of basketball clubs in the league, he made a decision to shut the whole thing down. Mm. And, and uh, I just couldn't see how the sport would survive if the Wildcats folded and certainly it would throw hundreds of players uh, without jobs and so um, uh, it's a long story but the short version is we ended, i ended up having a chat to jack and say why don't we keep it going if i was to if i was to underwrite the losses or assure you that we wouldn't lose any more money and, and jack liked that idea and, and so in 2009 oh, around may I effectively had management control of the club and I also had had uh, decided to um, put everything I owned on, on the line, I suppose, even though it, uh, it, we ended up being quite successful since. But um, it, it gave us an opportunity to start from zero and very rarely do you get that in organisations. Mm. So I got really lucky, I suppose. And so... Being someone who's new to the game, an external eye, um, we started from the ground up. We said, you know, what was our purpose? Why do we come to work every day? And no one really had a clearly defining understanding of the organization's purpose. And so I simply wrote down five words on a whiteboard with everyone in the room. I said, um, we exist. uh, and, And then I wrote down to inspire and entertain through excellence to inspire and entertain through excellence. So those words, inspire and entertain through excellence, those five words, they were our mantra really for the next, um, for my time there, the next eight years and, and possibly longer, but that defined us. We said, look, uh, firstly, the reason for the word inspire was that there was a gap in the market for male role models. We knew that we, wouldn't, we couldn't compete in an AFL town with a game like basketball, and we weren't winning. So, so why don't we be inspirational role models? Mm. And I dumbed it down enough so that we could all understand it. And sometimes organisations need to do this with their mission and their purpose, So they've got to dumb it down so it can fit on a T-shirt, you know. And yeah. so I said, look, guys, to the players, I said, you guys are the Wiggles of sport. Uh, and for your global audience, we have this Australian group called the Wiggles. Yep. Yeah. One are now global, and um, they, they created a niche for themselves. Yep. So I said, we're going to be the Wiggles of sport. And, um, and then the next part of it was um, to entertain. So Kurt's a, a town in the middle, a most isolated city in the world, arguably. And yes. uh, basketball didn't give me any form of entertainment for someone who didn't know basketball. Yeah. So I said, "Look, only 40 minutes is actually basketball. The remaining two hours is not basketball. So let's create a product that would entertain someone, even if they didn't care about the sport." Yeah. And so we went about using what little I knew uh, about the game, but a lot of what I knew about entertainment. I grew up in India, where we make we make more movies in the hometown of. Um, of Chennai where I grew up in most other parts of the world and so we said just we'll just make something it doesn't matter if it's cheesy but we'll make something so compellingly entertaining that you would come to it whether you like basketball or not and and the last part of this mission was excellence and um, and this was unique in that we decided that we would measure our performance not on wins and losses, but on the pursuit of excellence. In other words, did we get better today than we were yesterday? Yeah. How do we account for it qualitatively and quantitatively? And how do we hold each other accountable for it? And this was, I think, the big difference in why we won on court. Because coaches and players make this fundamental mistake in sport, and that is they judge their performance based on a win-loss record. Yep. And I often used to say to the coaches, when we win, we rejoice, and when we lose, we reflect. Mm -hmm. But winning and losing is really very irrelevant because it's only based on how you perform against the opposition. So you can be terrible and still win, but you're not really improving. You're not really pursuing excellence. And so we changed our DNA as a club to say it doesn't matter whether we win or lose. It matters whether we pursue excellence or whether we get better every day. Yeah. So the opposition didn't matter anymore. Mm. And you could play a game and lose. But if, if you improved and you gave it everything you could and, and exploited your comparative competence, which is really our focus, you know, how are we better than the opposition? Let's exploit that comparative competence and let's be excellent. And it really has worked. And, it, uh, you know, we, we won, we went to six grand finals in eight years and we won four championships. And um, and the club's won two since, which I really had no part in yeah. um, in, the, in, the, in the last three years. But, uh, but a great testament to a tremendous organization. So, so I go back to those three things, yeah. you know, being inspirational. Yeah. Um, and we executed on that by something very unique that we tripped on, and that is primary school children. So we we said um, a young child in a primary school, which is under the age of 12, if he or she has a real meaningful engagement with a sporting brand, that person becomes a fan for life. Yes. Now, this is very unique to anything else. You know, I could like a Corona beer, but I'll have a Heineken as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Sport's different. You pick a team, you stay with it for life, unless something seriously awful happens. A and loyalty and
0: relationship. The do- loyalty and the relationship is at a different level with, with those sporting teams. It's a more emotional connection.
1: Well, so it's actually more than that. It, it is at the exclusion of all others. Yeah. So you don't support one NBA team and a second NBA team. You pick one. Hmm. If you drink beer, you don't pick one and yeah, say, I will never drink anything that's not a Corona. But sport is, you pick the Corona and you drink that for life, whether yeah. it tastes awful or not. Yes. I call it the defining moment. And so if, yeah. you, can, if you can get an athlete or even a, even a quasi-athlete, if the brand can engage with a primary school-aged child, that child is a fan for life. So uh, I didn't know this at the time. We tripped over it in my first few weeks. And then we, 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 we banked the whole organization on this principle. And so we went from doing 10 or 12 school visits a year to peaking at 300 school visits a year. And, wow. and when you talk to, you know, six, 10, 15,000 young primary school aged children, you pick up the child for life, but then he or she goes home and tells their parents about it and force them to take him to a Wildcats game. And now yep. you've sold five or six tickets, which ends up being five or six memberships or season tickets. Yep. And then it's just a cumulative effect. It starts compounding. And yep. and remarkably, we went from 4,000 seats to, to, to sellouts. Uh, you know, 13,500 seats uh, for basketball is not a big stadium globally speaking no it is relatively big for a population that's a couple of million yeah um, in a non-basketball uh, town and so there were some key learnings there that uh, that have really helped and and then later on i i was lucky enough to work for andrew forrest where we had to in many ways try to do the same for rugby as right. a sport and so it was an outdoor event, which means you, you had a lot less to control. Yeah. Especially during winter, you had rain. And so it made it a very challenging but interesting experience to go back and try and make the game of rugby more interesting. And I think I think we got somewhere with that. And, and I think that it still needs to evolve. Um, but generally in sport... Look, sport's declining in terms of its audience. Less people are watching mm. the sport. Less people are going to the games. And so I'm no longer in sport. But my advice to people who hire me for my advice on sport is you've got to work twice as hard because um, the attention span's dropping. Yes. And the second screen's important. And young people aren't consuming a three-hour NBA game. They're consuming no. a 90-second clip on on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And so you may need to commercialize those better. You may need to exploit those channels better because the three-hour game may not be there forever. Yeah, Uh, no, it's... It's a bit of of a long
0: answer, David, but... No, uh, no, that was uh, uh, a long but (laughs) content-packed (laughs) answer. There's so many notes I've made here as we were going through that, Nick. I just had had earlier on the podcast... um, Duncan Wardle, who's a former VP of Creativity and Innovation for Disney, and now he goes around teaching everyone how to increase their innovation, curiosity, creativity, and intuition, um, and, and that those are the skills of the future. But he was talking about sports, and he was saying that he did some work with the NBA, and how the virtual NBA is something that they're working on right now. Because they can sell more tickets to an NBA game, a virtual NBA game, because you can sell the same seat a thousand times to an NBA game. Um, and he, he, he's predicting that in the next 10 or 20 years, we might not have athletes anymore because it'll all be virtual athletes. It'll be, uh, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a strong possibility that that will start to take over. We can already see the, um, the, the take on even online sports, uh, the EA games, and like they have these major competitions around the world. One of my clients says, say, one of their young fellows who work with them, he's an actual commentator of EA sports, like games and things. So he goes and he commentates on the gameplay of, and he gets paid to travel around and do that commentating. Like, it's just phenomenal. I mean, this is the future. So from a sporting point of view, it's going to be fascinating going forward to see how that all pans out. Um, You know, even right now, you know, with the pandemic on and things like that, you know, people are playing to empty stadiums. Yeah, so the, the, this need to evolve the, the the organizational model, even in the sporting arena, is critical right now. But I, I think it's going to become a fascinating space to see how that pans out in the next ten or twenty years from a sporting point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, will it just become more a social recreational thing? Will people still want to go watch a game when they can go and watch a virtual game with probably the with the quality of the um, you know the, the the graphics and all that? We could actually have elite athletes who are doing this all day. You know, using the thumbs in there, and but the, what we're watching is like phenomenal. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, but I think some of the things that jumped out in, in what you were sharing there, which, and, and uh, one of the things I was talking to someone else on one of the podcasts was about you know the passion for sports and you know, sports and business. Um, I think you know, like me as a golfer, I was talking about you know how I, I would happily go to the driving range and warm up before I had a round of golf and go to the putting green and stretch and do all that sort of stuff. To but for business, do we? Go to the driving range of business. Do we go there and do the warm-ups and the training and practice before the big meeting? Before the like, I was in here today preparing for all the podcasts. Got all the questions mapped out. Did all the bios. Did all that sort of stuff. Trained, rehearsed in my mind as if I'm at the driving range to do this podcast. But I wonder how many people in business put the same energy into their sports or whatever into their business or vice versa. Um, but what I love what you said, Nick, was. Um, you talked about your, your purpose statement. You guys like why, do, why does this club exist? Why do we all come here? And, you know, you, five words. Because Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And if you can't articulate your, and I would say to clients, if you can't articulate your purpose clearly and succinctly in 10 words or less, five is even better, then you just don't understand the purpose of your business at a deep enough level yet. Um, and so, the ability also to to articulate that simply and for people to remember five words to explain why they get out of bed and come to the wildcats or come to their organization every day is 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 so powerful. Um, so I love the fact that you were talking about that the um and you, you talked about you know compelling and I, I think organizations um it, it's such a powerful word, and I wish more organizations used it I, I use it when it comes to like customer service and that give me a compelling reason to do business with you. To, you know, it's just because you're local doesn't mean I should shop local or support local. Yeah, I'll do it, but give me a compelling reason to do so on top of it. I want to support my local businesses, but give me the, com- it doesn't mean you shouldn't have to have a compelling reason still for me to come and, and do business with you. Um, and the, and I loved the win and loss, because a lot of organizations, even in business, like when you win a client or you lose a client or whatever, it's not about how many clients you win, how many clients you lose, it's not about games you win or lose. It's that whole, when you win, um, you said we rejoice, and when we lose, we reflect. And I think in, in, you know when you try to make an appointment and you didn't get that appointment, great, reflect on that. When you get an appointment, rejoice in that. Those simple fundamentals that you just shared were just were fantastic, mate. So thank you for sharing that wisdom um, and experience. And people think, well, it was, it's just a basketball team. But it was more than just a basketball team. And obviously then there's the rugby and everything. Um, and actually, I just heard recently they're trying to bring uh, the, the Western Reds back. Is that true?
1: I believe so, yes.
0: Yes. You took on two of the most, uh, I mean, basketball is fairly popular in, in WA now, but rugby, we're, we're a, a, what, what, if anything, an AFL town, um, and pretty much that's about it. Rugby was sort of up and down. Basketball was kind of up and down. Um, you know, a, a baseball, I'm not even sure. if they're, they're, I'm sure there's a big, ba- I think Perth Heat used to be called Perth Heat. I don't know if they still exist. Um, but uh, you know, taking on two of the sports that are non-traditional in WA and making them successful is uh, no easy feat.
1: It was, it was a great learning experience, mm. and, and, and has lasted me for life. Yeah, uh, and and you are right that that quite often we find it hard to uh, to get our true, genuine purpose. And have it ring through in the organisations we mm. work with and for, and, and that really drives people. Yeah, uh, really important. I suppose the other comment I have is that we um, there's something to be said for this pursuit of goodness, and something that I've uh, quite had quite a hang up about. Mm. When people say, "How do you how do you get so successful?" Uh, especially in professional sport where success is measured perhaps a bit too one-dimensionally, but it is measured. Um, we, we always had a rule that the, the coaches would pick the players on talent and then that, that I would um, veto them or, or or not accept them or not bring them on board based on character. Right. And um, something that I've been spending the last few months about is is just synthesising that into a, a tool that we can use and. And, you know, money bolts are a crass term, I suppose, because it's been overplayed. But, but there are some key aspects to human beings. Yes. That understanding them uh, gives you a, a real meaningful, powerful way to get the most out of them. And, and so we've, we've uh, got a working title called The Scout, uh, which All we're right. using. And it's, in, it's, an, it's a sporting term, but it's, it's something that's easy to remember. And basically... We're looking for things uh, in, in the human being, and, 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 and they have a real powerful impact on how they perform. And things we look for are your modality of communicating, you know, how you take information in and how you give information out. Sometimes yep. they're different. Yep. How, for example, you like to be recognized. Mm. Not just frequency, but, but but in public or private and, and how that works. Um, how would you like to be rewarded? Uh, and all of us are different. Um, uh, things like uh, your your need for voice and choice, whether you mm. want to be part of the conversation as to what is being done around you in the organisation, and choice. Would you like to be told what the mission is and go and do it your way? Or yeah. would you like to be told how it is done well and just follow procedures? Um, we, um, so we've built this uh, stack of different values that we operate on. We've called it the Scout. And right up the top of it, we have things such as this pursuit of goodness. And, and we've partnered with a university and layered our own toolkit, uh, which is just about ready, where we're looking for things like conscientiousness humility, honesty, and work ethic. And these four we broadly call the pursuit of goodness. And so um, if we can get an understanding of someone and how they fit on those four key areas, we can pretty much guarantee how they're going to perform in an organisation because, um, and it's not binary, it's more whether there's a correlation. Yeah, cool. You know, and so if someone is really, really high on the honesty scale and the culture of the organisation isn't, they're not gonna work out. No. And 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 vice versa. And so um so we've got a toolkit that we've built uh, and then and the final part of it is of course the strengths and not weaknesses, we like to use the word support. Mm. And, and and when you layer all of these, you you have a really a very efficient working model of understanding the people you're working with and understanding how you can engage with them and, and get the most out of them because we all want to uh, contribute. Yeah, we want to know how we contribute in a meaningful way. We want to know. Uh, we all want to learn on the job, to varying degrees, but we all do, and we all want to leave a legacy. We want. Um, my question to athletes when they used to arrive, every one of them was, "How would you like to be remembered when you leave? Hmm. What would you like to be remembered for?" Because it's not just the numbers; it's the qualitative stuff. Yeah. You, are you remembered as someone who gave more than, than you took? Yeah. You going to be remembered as someone who's selfish? And um, and deep down inside, we all want to pursue goodness. We just and want no, to. I, I
0: agree fully. I think everybody goodness. wants to do a great job. I think everybody wants more responsibility. I think uh, for those who don't or perceivably people say, oh, they don't, well, that's only because they've had a condition out of them or it's been so long that they've not been had the opportunity or they've been shut down. That they kind of lose that but like or you know it's it's there but it's uh, you know I don't think anyone jumps out of bed in the morning and goes you know gee I can't wait to do a crappy job today Nick you know like I think they you know I want to come in I want to do great work I want to be a part of an amazing team and whether they are or not is another question but I, I think you know the deep down at the core everybody wants to do great work.
1: And it is up to those who are leaders and managers mm-hmm. to own that and and to 100%. really hold themselves accountable to create that environment, to you know uh, provide a, a really encouraging environment for people to self-actualize and really leave a legacy. And and quite often, we 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 you know we, it is the leaders that have to to to, to protect the culture and, and say this is what we do around here, and this yeah. is not what we do around here, yeah. and get to a point where we're not always going to be happy, but we're always going to feel a sense of contribution and fulfilment. And and the great test, uh, you know, as I as I completed my time at the Wildcats, uh, towards the end of that time, I uh, reflect fondly with this great test that we had, and that was, if you'd worked for us, if you'd worked for us for more than 12 months, you get to set your own pay scale. And people always think, well, that's uh, quite unrealistic. And and we had this rule that if you worked for us for more than 12 months, A, you knew what contribution you made to our success, B, you knew what success was, and C, you could actually have a pulse on what that meant in terms of remuneration. Hmm. And we had a rule, you set your own salary. And not once did we have to counsel an employee and say, well, we can't afford to pay you what you asked for. Because... If you were authentic, if you pursued goodness, if you knew what role you played in the organization, then you would, it would all always even out. And, and and I and I challenge people these days. I you know, if you can have that in your organization, then you really got something special. And I thought, I certainly thought too as those last years we did. And um and you know, you know, you live the rest of your life trying to get to that point with the clients that we work with and and i think it often lies with the manager and the leader to really direct that ship to direct that environment to own the responsibility for it it's not your people you get to
0: make that decision yeah absolutely because you know one of the things is from especially from a culture if you would experience um, you don't get the culture as you say it is you get the culture that you allow it to be right? And if you are allowing performance to drop below what is perceived as excellence, well, then that's the standard, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't get what you expect. You only get what you tolerate, right? So it's the, if there's the lowest behavior you're willing to tolerate, that's really what your culture is. You can say this, but if you're allowing this, well, then that's what it is. And it's, it's the, you know, the, the leader's role to hold it to that highest standard. And the challenge with leadership is you have to hold yourself to that same high standard too. Um, whilst we're all human beings and we can all have moments, but um, we're all human in that sense. That, uh, but it's acknowledging that because I've seen so many leaders with so many amazing cultural frameworks let all that sort of fall apart because they didn't hold the standard, or when they dropped their way, they handled it was just wrong. Like if someone sees you as a leader not demonstrating, like one of your words there, being inspirational, for example. Um, you can go, well, hey, you know, that's for you guys, not for me. Or you can say, hey, you know what? Thank you so much for pointing that out to me. What, what would you have seen me do or thought I should do that would be more inspirational to help me to lift me up? Because leadership's all about helping each other become the best to do our life's best work while we're in each other's care and beyond. It's not position or title. That's so when the leadership can hold the frame, but also if they fall, be willing to be pushed back up into the frame, the frame remains when they act outside the frame and say, that's for you, not for me, well then that's where the frame goes. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure we're holding that, that space. Um, and you've done that you know, intuitively instinctively through your own learning, training whichever way it was. But, you know, and, and I think the really cool thing um, here is to see that the Wildcats still go on to winning championships and still being a great organization. Um, Cause the true test of leadership is the permanence of the purpose, vision, mission values, and it's leaving it in a space for someone else to take it to another level. Because it would be nothing worse than you leaving and it going and collapsing. Because then it would be like, oh, look, it couldn't survive without me. Well, then you failed as a leader because it couldn't live without you.
1: Yes, it's it's going back to that question of, you know, when you walk into an organisation to always be mindful of how you leave it. Yeah, What's that legacy? How would you like to be remembered? And, yeah. and lots of leaders um, are infatuated with, their irreplaceableness or um, you know being uh, being so important that you can't um, that you can't walk out but we've always had a rule that everyone in the organization should be able to have cover and this is a very much a sporting reality in that is when you build your team you don't build it on a superstar you build you build a team on what it would look like and perform, and how it would look like and perform without the superstars. You know, it's the stand-ins at the in theatre that that define when how many tickets you can sell at the stars injured. And so, the same mentality in in business yeah. is to say, you know, will this stand up after I leave? And not to be infatuated with the need for the company to fail to make you look good. I think there's a sense of there's a certain uh, importance to be humble enough to know that it's never an I, um, you know, and in everything that we ever did, a good leader always talks about we when things work and I when things need to be improved. Yeah. And so, yes, you're right. I think uh, many of us need to be more aware that we should leave things better than we found it
0: for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And the, when, I, when I left the not-for-profit that I led up in the Midwest, um, my legacy would be that it wouldn't go on to bigger things after I left, not stay the same or go backwards Mm -hmm. Um, and which it has has gone on and emerged and and so on. And it's become a very powerful force, which is fantastic. And that to me is uh, I get more joy from that than I would ever having it stay the same or go backwards. Um, So when you think about um, how do you see the difference between growth and evolution? Like there's a lot of talk here. It's been in WA, you know, that, you know, we've got to grow my business. There's been this business growth mindset, which is fine. And, but what I find is a lot of organizations end up growing into obscurity or irrelevance or fading away in the sunset because they were just so focused on growth. They weren't paying attention to what matters and they, the market may have shifted or anything like that and they haven't been evolving. So how do you, how do you ascertain the difference between growth and evolution? And-
1: um, that's a terrific question. I I think that like growth um, growth can have growth can have a mis uh, some misconceptions to it, mm. and growth necessarily isn't always good. No. And I'm being very narrow in my interpretation of growth, but, but I suppose evolution probably better defines what's really happening around us. And that is that, uh, you know, the answers have changed. And we talk about this all the time is mm-hmm. that, you know, yesterday's answers don't uh, solve today's questions. Yep. And I'll tell you a great story. We, I once worked with a coach who um, the, the year after we, we had a great success. We won it all. Had, had this real um desire to to replicate everything that happened the year before and and the answer was let's just do what we did last year and if there was a need to do something different at all let's just do what we did last year because that worked and, and it didn't mm. it didn't because the answers had changed and and so um, to answer your question i think that it is incumbent on every leader and even on uh, at all levels, and even the particularly the the the, the staff that are facing the customer. Um, and I had a rule that I spent at least an hour a week at reception answering the phones, and an hour a week at the front desk, uh, at the team store, at, at reception, because that's where the answers are, mm. um, and the questions uh, the questions may be the same, and so it's a bit of a long way of saying that. The world is changing and there are new problems to be solved and new pains to be removed, new jobs to be done and new gains to be had. And we as uh, people in any form of organisation need to need to constantly respond to that. We need to be so flexible and agile to respond to that. And we're not going to do that if we sit in our office. We're right. not going to do that if we get the information secondhand. We're not going to do that if we make decisions from the top down. We're going to do that... If our purpose is agile enough to constantly evolve based on the call face, based on the people at the front line who really understand what is happening around us and to pay attention to that, or or we will be quickly become, uh, you know, extinct. Um, Yeah. So, evolution probably more
0: than growth. You know, and I love that because to me, you spending time at the call face, at the front counter, the reception, at the shop, um, you know, one of the, one well, little clarisms is you know if you don't start anticipating the future needs of your clients the one thing you can anticipate is not having future clients um and so at the coalface where you're listening to those people and you're listening to the you know if you want to stay relevant in the hearts and minds of those people you need to understand what they're feeling what they're thinking this season versus next season in your business or your sport team it doesn't matter uh, because it can and will change and also the demographics that that all shifts as well, as well as the environment and the, the the technology and everything that's happening around us is shifting at such a rapid rate. If you're not out there listening to that, you know, you can sit up in your ivory tower and have it work its way up. But then also that coalface information has been filtered through two or three different layers before it's gotten to you. And the interpretations are totally possibly different. It's like the old Chinese whispers, the old game we used to play where you just whispers on the and then you turn it in. And by the time you got to the other end, the message was totally different to what it started as and, and this is what can happen in organizations when the leaders aren't at the coal face, where we we have power at the top of the organization and information at the bottom what if we could actually flatten the organization out and have power and information coexist at the same table mm-hmm. you know so we have the ability to make decisions and the right information at the same table you know I think and that, that's a powerful thing and, and so thank you for sharing that, that with us because really it's it's a message that I'm very passionate about in terms of this, uh, you know, I think evolution should be the natural state of our business. Yes. You can have growth and moments of growth within that. But if evolution is the natural state of your business, um, you're at risk of, uh, you know, becoming irrelevant. And, and that's an important thing. So when you think about the concept of evolution, when, when do you think, or what was one of your most significant personal evolutions in your life? Uh, you could be a leader just anywhere in life when you, um, I mean, you're already in a hurry to get into the world. Uh, You came into the world two months early, so you're in a rush to get in here and get on with stuff. Um, But what do you see as your, you know, one of the most significant personal evolutions you've had in your life so far?
1: Well, I think that um, the present, for me, the present's always been the time of the greatest change. Well, I feel feel that way, that I feel that, and perhaps it's because I'm getting older and therefore um, evolution and change. Comes a little less naturally to me, and maybe it's more energy that is required, or the fact that we're just evolving faster, mm. and it quite possibly is, is the latter of all of those. But I feel more today than ever before that our environment is changing so rapidly. And we start, I use the word purpose instead of strategy because yeah. I'm not a big fan of companies taking a year to draw up a strategy document. I say to them, You you know, I look at the world in in 90 day blocks or 13 week blocks. I call it 13 weeks. 13 week sprints uh, to everything that I do. I say to every one of my clients, if you look past 13 weeks, you're going to get caught out. So, what is my greatest evolution? I think that, um, I think that there is possibly, Uh, a a large amount of people moving away from fixed employment as we've ever known it Mm -hmm. and call it whatever you like, the gig economy, the entrepreneur,
0: all those cool, funky names. but,
1: uh, But, you know, we are shortening the time frame to arguably 13 weeks rather than 12 months. And we're moving, we're certainly moving performance and results into more individuals than we've ever done before and the days of if you have a job Mm. (laughs) that uh, you have an annual performance review well I don't know how long those things will survive I think the world has changed now where you've got to perform every day you've got to evolve every day and you've got Mm. to be held accountable for performance every day and if you don't get on that treadmill you're going to be left behind
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think you've almost answered all three questions in one, which is the most significant personal evolution, which is you shifting your thinking to 13-week cycles and quarterly planning off the back of purpose. Um, then I think what would be the most significant evolution you uh, experienced in business? Um, would that be anything different to what you've just shared? Or oh, So that answered that. And then the last one was going to be, what do you see coming in the future then, Nick? What do you you know, what are you seeing in terms of for your own business that you're preparing for and or the clients that you serve? What are you doing to, what What are you seeing that you're encouraging them to prepare or be mindful of or the disruptions or whatever it is that's coming? Is there anything you'd like to add to that?
1: I think the unknowns are far greater. and And it's almost a paradox to say that the one thing we're sure of is that the, the the quadrant of unknown unknowns is exponential right now. Mm. There is no one on this planet that can really forecast what the next year is going to look like with any sense of certainty. And so we must be agile, really. We must be agile to say, how do I have this, you know, this kamikaze mindset that I will live for 100 years but I might die tomorrow. And so to be able to say, yes, we need to make, payroll and we need to make sales today to be able to live for another day so a short-term view on sales and cash flow but a a more agile view for the long term to say what could the possible future look like that is the greatest challenge of our time and and i don't think anyone really has the answers we just uh, we just need to have a good mindset and and look for the future
0: yeah. And I, and I think that's really important. Um, so for, to me, you know, predictability is out the window, you know, the you predict your, the 10 years of this 10 years of that, that's, that's all out the window now. And that was out the window a little while ago. It's even more so right now. Um, but that should be, this should be the most exciting time to be in business. I believe because since there's no opportunity in predictability, but there's plenty of opportunity and uncertainty. And as nobody knows what is actually going to happen, that means we have the ability to create whatever we want based on, our contribution to humanity and how, you know, that you talked about the, um, uh, you know, the sanctity of goodness. What is your sanctity of of goodness that you'd like to bring to the world? Because you can do that. And also in this time, you can do so much that's free. Like the technology that's available to us today would have cost us $100,000 to use 10 years ago. So now in an uncertain world, you can find great opportunity. You can bring that sanctity of goodness to the world. You can serve the people you want in a great way to do it with all this technology that's available to us. And nobody has a clue what should or shouldn't be done or how it should or shouldn't be done. All you get to know and understand is why you want to do it. And I think this is really one of the most exciting times going forward with the acceleration that we're going to see in terms of technology. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And and so from a guy who was pushed into the world quickly or decided to get out there and get in the world in advance um, and growing up uh, in, in India to moving to Australia, from Melbourne to Perth to, I mean, putting yourself through study at a latter year of life when most people have already done theirs, um, you know, and then getting focused on this whole uh, sense of purpose um, and the compelling pursuit of excellence to where you are today, mate. What, what an epic journey. And thank you for sharing that with us and uh, and for your sharing us your insights into the future. I think, um, you know, we need to be able to tap into the wisdom of people like yourself, young people like yourself, since you're younger than I am. The, uh, the uh, well, actually it depends, do you count your birthday? Do you count those two extra months that you came into the world earlier? Do you pick from the date you are supposed to come into the world?
1: I tried to minus the two months really yeah. because I was meant to be born in March rather than December. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a granddad now, David, so I may not be as be old, old as you, but I've got the gray hairs for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm already there too, so that's fine. Yeah, I'm not sure they came from my grandkid, but they certainly come from other, from having kids. But the, uh, I say this is, this is the daughter, this is the sons, this is the. <laughs> um, all right, so the last thing I have for you, Nick, is at the, the end of every episode, what I've been doing is I've been asking people a random question. So I have 31 random questions here. You don't get to see what they are. There's 31 of them. Uh, You get to pick any number between one and 31 and I'll ask you that question. Now they're totally random questions. So, but you have to answer the question.
1: Let's go with 31.
0: Oh, 31. Oh, that's no, (laughs) here's a question for you, Nick. Who is your favorite sport team and why? (laughs) that's question 31 Uh, uh, yes look um hey it's okay if it's not the wildcats or
1: uh well i'm trying to i'm trying to think of of something that uh that might be meaningful in my response but um i'm not a big sporting guy actually uh believe it or not um but who would be the best sporting team i'm aware of um
0: yeah, well, your favorite sporting team. If you're gonna watch sport, or you're gonna be, say, I back anybody who, any league, any sport discipline, it could be darts for all that matters, man. it could be long balls. You know, <laughs> well, that's,
1: look. You've you've got me. You've got me, Dave. Uh, speechless, I suppose. I, 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 you know, I do like I do like the Golden State Warriors, and I do like uh, the coach and some of the culture, I really love the culture behind and also Popovich at the Spurs. I really, um, I've spent a fair bit of time with, this, with the San Antonio Spurs really and, and the organization there, uh, Pop is just a, a great coach. And you know, this pursuit of excellence, long after we came up with it, I, I spent some time with the Spurs many years later and there's a rock, that i'm sure this infamous picture of a rock down at the san antonio spurs and 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 coach pop has it there where he talks about the the tools the on the tools you know knocking away at the rock for years yeah. and years and years until the rock breaks and you don't know the work that's being done underneath the face of the rock but when it breaks you realize those years were worthwhile yeah, um, and that was a very powerful ethos at the San Antonio Spurs. So let's go with the San Antonio Spurs, and and let's go with that's the reason why is that I have a long term commitment to yeah. genuine pursuit of excellence.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic, and uh, what a what a great way to finish this off with the, uh, you know, because this if you're not in whatever you're in for the long long game, you're in the wrong game. Mm. You know, uh, to me, I think that's just. Um, That was a clarism just born right there in that moment. If you're not in this for the long game, you're in the wrong game. Watch out for that coming up on social media shortly. So this is how clarisms happen. I just spit stuff out of my mouth. But thank you for for inspiring that. Um, And now if people want to find out more about Nick Marvin and the work that you're doing today, where's the best place for them to go to to find you?
1: Well, nickmarvin.com. or just Google my name and uh, you should be able to reach me. I've got my phone number on. My website and my email address, and and that rings on my cell phone. So I'd love to hear from anyone.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so once again, Nick Marvin, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Evolution of Business show. Uh, it's been an absolute treat to get to know you, and also to have you uh, as a guest here today. And I look forward to catching up. I think I'm going to see you tomorrow anyway. On uh, actually, tomorrow Friday, I think this week, um, which won't be the week this podcast comes out, but nonetheless. I look forward to seeing you then, and, and thank you again so much for uh, for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much!
1: Terrific. Goodbye.
0: This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c suiteradiocom